Jesus feet were growing weary as he journeyed on his way. So he rested at the well side, a comfort in the heat of day. There he waited for a woman black with sin and bound for hell. When she arrived, he plainly told her what you need's not in the well. He's still waiting by the well, and he's holding out his hand. If you'll drink this living water, you won't have to thirst again. He's been waiting by the well side. Take advantage of the moment. He's not gone. He's still waiting by the well. Are you tired of being thirsty? Even though you've had your fill of the water that the world gives, does it leave? She said, this man changed her forever, and if you need hope, you can find it here. He's still waiting by the well, and he's holding out his hand. If you drink this living water, you won't have to thirst again. He's still waiting by the well side. By. So take advantage of the moment. He's not gone. He's still waiting by the well. He's still waiting by the well. And he's holding out his hand. If you'll drink this living water, you won't have to thirst again. still waiting by the well, aren't you? Let's all stand. Good song. Good start to the service tonight. Let's pray, all of you that will come, and let's just gather around the altar and take this service to the Lord. And let's ask the Lord to talk to us tonight. Let's ask Him to speak to us, to get our attention, and to move in our hearts and work in our hearts tonight. Let's all pray together. Father, we're so thankful 
that you're still waiting by the well and that we can come and bring our thirsty souls to you knowing that you'll do for us what you've done for others. So, Father, tonight would you meet with us? Lord, would you talk to us? Would you speak to us and, and deal with us tonight? Uh, confront the needs in our life tonight that we might be brought closer to you, to know you, and to better serve you. So speak now and work in this service in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing and worship. Let's let our ushers come forward to receive her offering. You give tonight, and the Lord bless you for being faithful in your giving. So many reasons to give, so many reasons to be faithful in your giving, and the Lord will bless you for it. Let's pray. Father, bless our giving tonight. Thank you for the joy of being able to give to you. Bless the offering. Meet every need in Jesus' name. Amen.
y'all stand with us. You got it figured out the course. I believe it all. Join us on the course there. 111, ladies. We're going to start. play through a few verses of song. Get out, shake hands with everyone as the choir comes down. Make everyone feel welcome tonight.
through shaking hands, go ahead and sit down while they continue to play. Once you're through shaking hands, go ahead and sit down. For those that's never been here when we do this, we just sing glory, 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 hallelujah. Then we start on Monday and go all the way through Sunday. And if you remember what day you got saved up, you stand and keep standing with us. If you don't remember but you know you're saved, Sunday's your day. Everybody's going to stand up on Sunday and sing together. So let's all sing together. Glory, glory, glory. And This song uh, talks about heaven, talks about knowing what's going to be there, and it's called I Know What Lies Ahead. 
a better home. It was made by Christ one day at Calvary while he suffered all alone. This road may lead over many high mountains and valleys dark and low, but I'll walk each day with sweet assurance that I'll safely reach my goal. Take your Bible and be finding 2 Kings chapter 6, the book of 2 Kings chapter 6. Don't you appreciate our singers, Rick, the musicians, all of them that give us all this great music service after service? I tell you, I don't care how you throw them together, they come out and just sing, boy. Uh, pay $25 to go down the auditorium and come over here every Sunday. All it costs you is just put something in the building fund. Amen. That's <laughs> all that. Amen. That's an idea. I hadn't thought about that. Good to have R.J. City back with us. Let's welcome R.J. back in the services tonight. Good to see him back. Kyle told me a while ago, this, this is what he told me. He said... Uh, R.J. would have come to church as soon as he got out of the hospital if it hadn't been for Bobby City. said, Bobby made him sit in the recliner and watch the Home and Garden channel. That's what, that's what he said. So the reason R.J. hadn't been here, Bobby wouldn't let him come. Amen. 
2 Kings chapter 6. I want you to stand as we honor the reading of his word. And I want you to look at this story. And I want us to draw from it tonight <clears throat> some lessons and glean some things that I think will be helpful to us. We'll think about the lost axe head. Familiar story in the Bible. Been a number of years since I preached on this passage. In fact, when I first started preaching, this was one of my favorite passages, and I used to preach from it. But I want you to look at it tonight. We'll begin reading in verse 1, 2 Kings 6, beginning in verse 1. The Bible said, And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold, now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he cut down a stick and cast it in thither, <clears throat> and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, Take it up to thee. And he put out his hand, and he took it. Thank you. Maybe may be seated. Let's pray. Let's look at this great story in 2 Kings 6 and draw from it tonight some lessons that I think the Lord will speak to our hearts about. So let's pray. Our Father, in Jesus' name, what a blessing it has been to be in your house all through this day. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this place. And we thank you, Lord, for where you're leading us and what you're bringing to pass. And we give you praise and we give you honor and give you glory for it. We know that it's not because of who we are. It's not because of anything that we have done. It's simply because you've been gracious to us as a people. And we thank you for it. May we never take for granted what you've given us. May we, Lord, never take for granted what you have done. But may your blessings only increase our hunger for greater blessings. And may all that you do for us only bring our hearts to love you more and to worship you more for what you've done. So touch us tonight and glorify yourself, for it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the story before us in 2 Kings chapter 6 is a story of both tragedy and victory. It is a story of a lost axe head, but it's a story of an axe head that was restored. I'll say a word or two about that axe head in just a moment. But when we look at the story here, it reminds us of a great need that we have in all of our lives. It reminds me of a need that every one of us has as a believer for those that serve God in this church or you serve God in the body of Christ. It is a story that reminds us of a tragedy that can occur but it also reminds us of the necessity of certain things in our life. I look back and I often think back to the early years when I first got saved back in 1972. And I often think about my home church, an unusual work of God, an unusual moving of the Lord occurred in those days. In fact, all up through the uh, western mountains of North Carolina, back in the early 70s, 1971, 1972, 1973, was an unusual time of God working in those mountains. But I look back and I remember those days, and the more I remember them and think about them, and the older I get, the more thankful I am 
for the environment that I grew up in and the circumstances that surrounded the early days of my Christian life. I think back and I am grateful tonight that I learned early the importance of the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Now, don't misunderstand me when I talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of stuff that you'll see on TV today that is nothing more than the old Adam hooping it up and the flesh having a good time. It has nothing to do with the work of the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen there? But I learned in those early days the importance of the Holy Spirit. I learned in those early days how essential it was to be filled with the Spirit. And I understood what it meant to be filled, not some of the left-field stuff, but what the Bible meant. I grew up in that kind of a church. I grew up under a preacher that preached the Word of God and taught me what it was to hunger for God and taught me what it was to, to need God's power and the necessity of being filled with the Holy Spirit. I learned in those early days the necessity of God's power in my life that it required something out of myself and required something more than myself. And I learned in those early days how important it was to know God's power. I remember when I was a student in Bible school, and there was one particular semester, maybe a year, I can't remember exactly, but I know at least one semester my classes fell in such a way that after chapel, and the next class that I had, I had an hour in between chapel and class. And so there was the prayer tower that it was called in just a simple little room, probably about the size of this uh, platform up here. And there was a, an armchair in there and, and a few items in there, but it's the prayer room in what was known as the prayer tower. If you were sitting in the balcony of chapel, if you went out the side door, you would turn left and go down the hall, and the prayer room was at the end of the hall. So I had this hour between chapel and between my next class. And so it was my custom in that semester uh, to, whenever chapel was over, to simply go down the hall and get in that little prayer room and spend that hour just praying that God would touch me and pray that God would fill me with the Holy Spirit and that I might know something of the power of God in my life. I learned that in the early days how essential it was, and I learned that in the early days how critical it was to seeing anything done by God. I say all of that to say this, that we find that truth illustrated for us in this story tonight. Let me just point out three things from the story tonight, and we'll end with the last one that emphasizes how important it is to be filled. The first thing that I want you to know from the story tonight or notice from the story is what I want to call the scene of a purposeful life. When I look at 2 Kings chapter 6, I see a scene in which the life has purpose in which we find those having a meaning in life, having a cause in life, having a purpose in life. I remind you that the Christian life is one of purpose. We find that it's being a believer and knowing the Lord Jesus Christ that He gives our life purpose. But being a Christian, there is a divine purpose in our life. Can I just point out a few things about this purpose? Notice the story. For one thing, you see the call that is received. You remember in verse 1, we read a moment ago, and notice there that he begins the verse by speaking of the sons of the prophets. These were young men that you might say were seminary students. These were young men that were training for the ministry. These were young men that had the touch of God upon their life. They had the call of God upon their life, and they were preparing themselves for the work of God. And when you have reference to the sons of the prophets, you have... Uh, you have implied there somebody that has been called of God, has been set apart for a particular work. You find the words in the latter part of verse 2, the last two words actually, you find the words, go ye. 
reminding us of a call that there is a call that has been received. Can I remind you tonight that as a believer that you have a purpose in life and that you have been given a purpose because there is a call that you have received from God. There is not a person in the sound of my voice tonight that has not been called of God. Are you saved tonight? Say amen. If you're saved, then you've received a call from God. There is a work that God has for you to do, just like the sons of the prophets. And these men set apart for this specific work, given the commission, go ye. Ye have been given a commission. You have been called by God. There is something that God wants you to do. I know that many times you kind of get tired of me pumping and, and begging you to do this and to get involved here and whatever. But the bottom line is, all that I'm simply doing is trying to get you to find the will of God for your life and do it. Because I do not believe there's a one of you tonight in this building saved by grace that is the will of God that you sit on a pew and do nothing. You have been called of God. There is a call that has been received. But second of all, not only do I find in the story a call that is received, but I find a cause that is realized. For you notice beginning in verse 2 there, verse 1, the sons of the prophet said unto Elisha, Behold, now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Elijah is this, their professor. Elijah is one of their teachers. And the school is growing. Things are expanding there. And if the place where they're dwelling is too small for them. They need more room. And so they make the suggestion in verse 2 there, let us go, we pray thee unto Jordan, and take thence every man a beam, and let us make a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, go ye. You see, these young seminary students realized we need a bigger dormitory. And so they brought up and voted in class meeting to build a bigger dormitory. And so off they go and they get a commission, a permission to do that. And so you find them with a cause. Here is a call they have received, but now there is a cause before them. We need to do this. There's this building we dwell in now, but we need bigger. There is a reason. This is what we have. This is a task that we have to do. There is a cause that is realized. Now, when I think about as a believer tonight how we've been called of God, I realize we have a cause why we ought to serve God. I can talk to you tonight about being called, that God has called you, but I want you to understand tonight there is a cause for serving God. I believe hell is hell. I believe hell is real, don't you? I believe that heaven is real. I believe only those that are going to heaven are those that are saved, and everybody that's lost will die in their sins and go to hell. And hell is real. Hell is hot. Hell is enlarging itself every day, as Isaiah said. And when we think about men that are lost and we think about people that are unsaved, we have a reason to serve God. We have a reason to do what God has called us to do. We have a reason to give our life to the Lord. There are people to be taught. There are souls to be won. There is a work to be done. There is a cause to drive us. Why should I serve God? Why should I obey God? Because of a cause. But look at something else you find in this purpose. Not only a call that is received in verse 1 and a cause that is realized, but there is a commitment that is required. They want to build a bigger dormitory. And so we read in verse 3, One said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. They made a commitment to this matter. They realized we've got a need. We must enlarge our dwelling place. We need to build a bigger building. And so there's a cause. They, they're sons of prophets. There's a call in their life. And so once they realized what the need is, they made a commitment in their life. 
They went to work. They got up the place. They picked out the place. They got looked at all the materials they needed and whatever. And so they went to work. There was a commitment on their part. I say to you tonight, as a believer, we have been called of God. Amen? And there is many reasons why we ought to do God's work and why we ought to serve God and why every believer ought to be involved. And so all that is left is the commitment of our life to that work. God, this is what you want for my life, so I'm going to do it. Lord, this is what you have called me to do, so I make this commitment in my life. This is where you want to use me. This is what you want to do in my life, so I make this commitment in my life. So you find in the story the scene of a purposeful life. But let me point out a second thing. Not only do you have the scene of a purposeful life, but you also see the symbol of a productive life. When you look at the story, you have a symbol of a productive life. Look in verse 5. But as one was felling the beam, of a beam, the axe head fell into the water. Put brackets around the word axe head there, the two words axe head. Because in that axe head, you have a symbol of a productive life. Now, there's a life with a purpose. We have been called of God. There's a cause to serve God. So all we must do and should do is make that commitment to do the work of God. Nothing else that is needed in our life. And that is what this axe head is a symbol of. Can I point out two things about the axe head here? For one thing, when I look at the story here, I'm reminded of our part in the work. You read in verse 5 or verse 4 there that they cut down wood. That is, they cut down trees. You find their part in the work. Verse 5 said, but as one was felling a beam, that is cutting down a tree. You see them in the work. You find their part in the work. They took up the axes. They cut down the trees. There is a human part when it comes to the work of God. Now, it may be our time, giving our time to the Lord, being willing to give God two, three, four hours during the week, maybe like faith night, giving God two and a half hours on Thursday night or whatever. It may be giving in the time of teaching Sunday school, time for this, time for that. It may be that our part in the work involves giving God time. It may be that it means giving God our talents. God takes what we are and who we are and what we have. In fact, I believe that he gives us our gifts and he gives us our abilities because that's how he wants to use our individual lives. And I don't think you were just born that way because it's your heritage. I believe that God takes each one of us and shapes us and equips us for how he wants to use our life. And so it may mean not only just giving God our, your time, but it may be giving God your talents. If you sing, you ought to sing. And if you can teach, you ought to teach. Whatever gifts God has given you, use them. Give God your talents. And it may even mean you giving God your treasures. That is, giving Him uh, financial, giving Him financial resources and using you as a financial resource. But there's our part in the work. It is our time involved, our talents involved. It is giving ourselves and being involved in doing that which God has called us to do. That's our part in the work. But here's what I want you to get. There is not only our part in the work, but second of all, there is our power in the work. Now, they're out there cutting trees down, and they're using an axe, and that piece of metal on the end of that wooden handle there is really the, that which is making their work effective. Now, they could have had axe handles and beat on trees all day long, but they never would have cut the trees down. They were doing their part in the work, but they had a piece of iron there that made their work effective. They could have got out there and kicked the tree all day long, but they never would have kicked the tree down. 
And you say, well, they were doing their part, yes, but they were not effective in doing their part. They could have got a rock or something and threw it at it. It would have never knocked it down. No, that axe head there was what made their work effective. It's what gave them the ability to do the job that they were called to do. I remind you tonight, the axe head here is a symbol of the Holy Spirit in our life and the power of God in our life. Yes, there is our part in the work. There is the giving of our time. There is the giving of our talents. There is the giving of our treasures. But I want you to understand something tonight. It's not just our time, and it's not just our uh, talents, and it's not just our treasures that gets the job done. There is something outside of ourselves that is required to be effective in the work of God. I don't care how talented you are, if you don't have an accent, you're not going to be effective in the work of God. And I don't care how well you sing and, and how many talents and abilities you have, you will not be effective in the work of God unless you have an axe head, unless you know something about the power of God in your life and know something about the feeling of the Holy Spirit in your life. There is our part in the work, but there is our power in the work of God. You know what makes Temple Baptist unique? And you know why God is blessing here? And you know why people come here? It's not because we have good music, even though we do. But it takes more than good music to see things happen in the lives of people. And it's not because you have good preaching, although you have exceptionally good preaching. Can I get an amen right there? But that's not what it is. I'll tell you what makes a difference. It is the presence of God here that makes a difference. It is the power of God that is here that makes a difference. And I, I want you to understand, you know how I feel about things. I mean, when it comes to some of this stuff that you see today on TV that is identified with the work of the Holy Spirit, you know how I feel about that. And I don't have to say much about it. All I say is this, that if I had one hair on my head, and if I was as bald-headed as a cue ball and had one hair on my head left, and I thought it was charismatic, I'd pull it out. Can I get an amen right there? But I'm not talking about that stuff, but I am saying this. We might as well, Katie, bar the door if there be no axe head here. We might as well go home because all we're having is a social media if the presence and the power of God is not on what we do. It's not only our part in the work, but there is our power in the work. We must have an axe head. I remember in the early years when they began to read biographies. I, remember, I still remember this day, the first biography I read, a Christian biography, that is. And I was sitting in the library, and I, reached, I was looking, sitting there, just staring off into space, really. That's all I was doing. Couldn't get my mind focused on what I was supposed to be doing. And I remember just staring at a bookshelf, and the title, a title on the book there about Billy Sunday came to my attention. I pulled that book off and began to read it. I checked that book out and took it home and read my first Christian biography on Billy Sunday. And God so used that in my life. And I began to devour biographies. I have some 400 biographies in my library alone. I love biographies and read biographies. And I remember reading about D.L. Moody, a man that had not much more than a fifth-grade education. But yet one day on Wall Street in New York City, God did something in the life of D.L. Moody that not only changed him, but literally changed the world. And the influence of his ministry is still felt today. I remember reading about Charles Finney, that lawyer that was so rebellious and hard against God, but a group of people got to praying for his salvation. And Charles Finney got saved. And I read about how that he went out down in his study and was in his office there and God began to work in his heart and went up in the woods and got on his face there and God did something miraculous in his life and filled him with the Holy Spirit. And I read about others, George Whitfield, how he testified that when he was being ordained and Bishop Benson laid his hands on his head, he knew for the first time in his life what it was to be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And I read about Jonathan Edwards in Northampton, Massachusetts there and scenes in, in the Great Awakening there, how God moved in miraculous ways, especially at Enfield, Connecticut. And I'd read those. And in those early days, I learned something. There is my part in the work. I am to give my body. I am to give my talents. I am to give my time. I am to give my treasure. But I need more than just what I've got. I need something from God. Amen. You'll notice in the story we read a moment ago, the axe head was borrowed. It's not his. What he was working with was something out beyond what he had. He had to get something that he did not have himself. It was a borrowed matter. And this matter of doing the work of God, listen to me, whether you're working in Awana or whether you're working in Sunday school, it doesn't matter whether they're two years old or 72 years old, you need God's power in your life to do the work of God. Because if you're trying to do the work of God without God's power, all you've got is an axe handle beating on the tree. You're not getting anything done. But if you want to touch lives and shape lives, then get an axe handle or get an axe head on that handle. That's what makes you effective. But it's a symbol of a productive life. But here's the third thing. Get it? Listen to me. Are you with me now? Say amen. There is the scene of a purposeful life. And there is the symbol of a productive life. But you have the story of a powerless life. Look at it. You look at the story, and there are three things I point out about it. One, the axe head was lost. Look what it said in verse 5. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. I don't know why it fell off. Maybe he was neg negligent, wasn't being very watchful, watchful, but the axe head slipped off the handle, and it fell into the Jordan River. But here is a man now. He's doing a work. He's doing the kind of work that requires an axe head, but he loses that axe head. And suddenly, he's ineffective in the work that he's committed to do and a work that he's been called to do. His axe head was lost. You might say his power was lost. May I say tonight, the tragedy of all tragedies in the life of any believer is to lose God's touch on your life. If you become like a Samson trying to push down pillars in your own strength, what a tragedy that is. And many is the case in Samson that he wished not that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. The tragedy of all tragedies for any teacher is to lose God's power in their life. The tragedy of all tragedies for any servant of God, any pastor, any preacher, missionary, or evangelist is to lose God's power in their life. But yet there are many that one time served God. Their life was touched of God. They knew what it was to walk with God. They knew what it was to have the power of God on their life, but they've lost that power. And now it's like they're just beating against the tree with an old axe handle. The axe head is gone. The axe head was lost. A tragedy. But look at something else. The axe head was not only lost, but the axe head was located. Look in verse 6. The man of God said, where fell it? When the axe head come off, he cries out in verse 5 and says, Alas, master, it was borrowed. And the master, the man of God, said to him, Elisha, where fell it? And notice, and he showed him the place. Not only was the axe head lost, but it was located. Elisha said, where'd you lose it? And the, man, and, the, and the son of the prophet pointed in the Jordan River said, there's where I lost it. I want to say to you tonight, if you've lost God's touch in your life, if you lost the joy of the Lord in your life, if you lost the peace of God in your life, if you've lost the power of God in your life, that power can be restored. But I'm going to tell you what it must take and what it does take. That is, you've got to go to the place and to the reason why you lost God's power. 
If you've lost your axe head, then you've got to locate where you lost that axe head. Was it when you got angry with someone? Here you are serving God, so being used of God, but some little thing, maybe a little comment somebody made or a little thing somebody done, and it ate at you and it irritated you and began to eat at you, and before you knew it, the axe head had slipped off. You want to have that axe head back? Then you're going to have to go right back to where you lost that axe head. You're going to have to locate where you lost it before you'll ever get your power back. You see, the, uh, the place of departure is always the place of recovery. Is it because of some sin in your life? Some little sin you have harbored there, you let it lie in your life, you let it stay in your life, you didn't deal with it, you didn't crucify it, you didn't nail it to Calvary's cross, and you let it exist in your life, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger until it controlled your life? Is that what it was? Is it some bitterness? Is it some word you said? Is it some falling out with someone else? Is it some sin you committed? If you're going to have God's power in your life, if you've lost that power, you're going to have to say, right there's where I lost it. When I got angry, that's when I lost my power. When I got bitter, that's where I lost my power. When I began to miss on Wednesday night, that's when I lost my power. When I began to miss on Sunday night, that's where I lost my power. Here's where I lost my power. You got to point it out. You got to locate it because that's the accent. You got to have that accent to do your work. You got to find that accent. You got to recover that accent. And the only place, the only way you recover it is to locate where you lost it. It's like sin in your life. Sometimes the blessings of God gets blocked in our life. And it's like maybe blocking up a road. Maybe it's a little brick. Maybe just imagine stones. And it's one stone here. And then the next day it's another stone. And it piles up until the road gets blocked. I'm going to tell you how you get that road unblocked. You've got to take that one stone out at a time and remove it in your life. And you go back and say, this is where I lost my joy. This is where I lost my peace. This is where I lost my power. You got to come before God and before God confess that thing and get it right. Whatever caused you to lose it or wherever you lost it, it's where you've got to go back to get it. Are you listening to me tonight? It was lost. It's located. But look in verse 6. Thanks be to God, it was lifted. But the Bible said the man of God said, where fell it? And he showed him the place. He said, right there is where I lost the axe head. And notice what he did. He cut down a stick. And he cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. That is, the iron simply came up from the bottom, was raised, lifted, and the iron did swim. And all he had to do was reach out and take it and put it back. Now, you can lose God's touch in your life, but I believe this. You can go back to wherever you lost it. Say, right there's where I lost my power. And I believe you'll go back to the place of departure. You'll find that to be a place of recovery. And you'll find that God will once again touch your life and God will once again use your life. For example, Elisha cut a stick and he cast it in the water. And of course, the cut stick there is a symbol of the death of Christ. You can come back to God and say, God, here's where I lost my head. Here's where I lost my power. And you'll come back on the merits of the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the work of Christ on the cross and his death for us. You can find forgiveness for that sin. You can find for, cleansing from that sin. And by finding cleansing, locating and confessing that sin and being cleansed of that sin, there can be restoration of God's power in your life. Wouldn't you like once again to have God touching your life? Wouldn't you like once again to have joy in your heart? Remember how it used to be? Wouldn't you like to be happy again in the Lord? Wouldn't you like to be used of God and touched of God like you once were? I remember a number of years ago I was in a meeting down in Alabama, down toward the Boaz area, the Boaz area. And I remember that night this lady come in to sing. And she got up to sing, and when she started the place, it just electrified the place. 
I mean, you could just sense the presence of God in that lady and the touch of God on that lady. When she started singing from the first word, I mean, it just set the place on fire. She sung about one stanza. People were crying, shouting all over the building. And then she gave a testimony. And I have never forgotten this lady's testimony. She began to tell how she was out of a church in the Gadsden, Alabama area. And she began to tell about how involved she was in her church, how she was uh, a worker in her church, and all she did in her church. She said, I, I went from a small church, and she said, I was involved in about everything. If it came to getting things with the fellowship hall, I was the one that got them. It came to music and all these different things. I was involved in about everything that went on in the church. And she said, I taught a Sunday school class. And she just named all the things she'd done and how she was serving God here and working for God here and how God was using her here and God was using her in this way. But then she began to tell how something happened between her and another member in the church. And she began to tell how it began, how she got angry and how that anger turned into bitterness. And she testified of how that she found herself, she'd think about that person and hate every moment. She hated that person. And when she would see them, it'd just eat, them, eat her alive. And she testified of how all of a sudden she'd get up to sing and there wasn't any power on her singing. She'd teach and there wasn't any touch on her teaching. There was no joy in what she was doing. She said, I blamed everybody but myself. She said, I got bitter with not only that person in the church, but I got bitter with the preacher. And I got angry with the church. And I blamed everybody for what was going on in my life. Until one night, she said, God broke me down. And I said, God, it's not her. It's not my preacher. It's not my church. But it's me. And she said, I got it right. And then she said, I've never enjoyed serving God any more than I am tonight. And she took off on the second verse. They like to tore the building down. The touch of God, that's what I'm talking about. Do you lose it? Have you lost it? Have you lost God's power in your life? Have you lost God's touch in your life? Where did you lose it? What caused you to lose your power? Why did God take his hand off of you? Why did God write Ichabod over your heart? Why? Find out why. Go back to where you lost it. Go back to why you lost it and locate it. And if you'll get it right and located there, I promise you, on the authority of the finished work of Jesus Christ, God will cleanse you of sin and once again fill your heart with joy and touch your life and use you for the glory of God. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? To be used of the Lord. Let's stand to our feet, please. It is a scene of a purposeful life, one that is called and one that has a cause and a commitment that is made. The symbol of a productive life, the axe head. But there is the story of a powerless life. We don't live that way. We don't want to try to do the work of God just in the human flesh and by our own abilities. We won't have God's power. Every leader in his church needs God's power. Our services need God's power. Everything we do, we need God's power. That's hunger for God's power. Hunger to know God, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Hunger for that. We're going to sing. Has there been a loss of an axe head in your life? Won't you find your place down here before God? Show God where you lost it. Get it out.